0: but leveling up what does it mean to level up in life leveling up is not an experience it's not a spiritual experience that gives you the tingles and the, oh i feel good it's not it's not a moment it's not even and, I, and i'm not putting rick warren down I, I admire rick warren but it's not about finding your purpose Finding your purpose is extremely important, but that's not what it means to level up spiritually. Leveling leveling up spiritually, leveling up in your walk with the Lord means this. Leveling up means living purposefully as you deny yourself. Living purposefully as you deny yourself. Now, who's still looking forward to this series? Because there are things in life that we don't want to do. There's sacrifices we don't want to make. There's steps we don't want to take. There's battles we don't want to fight. There's things we don't want to give up. There's stuff that we know is hindering us. And so much of stepping up in your life spiritually requires denying Yourself. It requires giving some things up. So, starting today, and then for the, the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at six things that are required from us. Six steps we can take if we're going to level up in our lives spiritually. So, we're going to start this morning. <clears throat> excuse me. We're going to start this morning by looking at a king by the name of Josiah. If you're not familiar with Josiah, uh, he uh, he was a king of Judah, the last good king. So let me give you a little history lesson here. If you know the Bible stories a little bit, sometimes it's confusing, but most of us have heard of King David, David and Goliath. So David was not the first king of Israel, but he was the first king to unite Israel. So Israel came together under King David. After King David, he had a son named Solomon who also reigned over a united kingdom. After Solomon died, there was a civil war. And the kingdom of Israel was split into two. This is where it can be confusing. One of the kingdoms was called the kingdom of Israel. One of them was called the kingdom of Judah. So the kingdom of Israel represented 10 tribes, 10 states, if you would, of the united kingdom of Israel. So 10 of them broke away and were known as the kingdom of Israel. They were to the north there was two tribes, two states made up of Judah and Benjamin to the south, and that was called the kingdom of Judah. Now, you can remember this, the kingdom of Israel to the north, right? One way you can abbreviate north is N-O. They had no good kings. They pretty much always had bad kings. The kingdom of Judah to the south, which also included the city of Jerusalem, which was where the temple was, it represented the spiritual center of the people. They occasionally had some good kings, mostly bad kings, but some good kings. And the last good king is this king named Josiah. As a matter of fact, the two previous kings had lost their way. They had, uh, they had lost the, their bearings, they had gone away, they had gotten the people off track. See, at that time, the people reflected the king. The condition and the spiritual condition of the king was reflected by the people and the heart of the people was kind of represented by the king. It was opposite sides of the same coin and the people and the kings uh, before Josiah had wandered away, they had dabbled in uh, worshiping false gods and idols and sexual depravity and the occult and they were going in a direction that was gonna bring destruction to the people. And then Josiah is born, and he becomes king. This is what it says about him in Two Kings. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. And this is what it says about him. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Now, David that's mentioned here is King David, David and Goliath. But David wasn't his father. This is, a, it's a term. It meant his, his ancestral father, King David. This is generations later. So it's not, David wasn't his biological father. But it says he followed in the ways of David, who God made a covenant with. And so he's eight years old and it says he follows him completely. He followed completely the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And as he grows and he gets older, one of the first things he does is he looks at the state of the temple, and it was in disrepair. The temple had been neglected. It had been um, different articles from the temple had been taken away and used for all kind of horrible uh, uses. And so he makes a proclamation, we're going to repair the temple. So they go in and they begin to repair the temple. And as they're repairing the temple, they find something that had been lost, but it wasn't really that it was lost, it was that people had lost track of it. Something that had been ignored, so overlooked that they didn't even know where it was. And this is what it says. It says, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord, I found it. It's exactly where it we're supposed to be, but we haven't read it for over these many, many years, decades. Over the reign of at least two kings, it had been overlooked, collecting dust in the corner. I found the Book of the Law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it, who read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the Book of the Law, he tore his robes. So the book of the law, when you hear that term in the Old Testament, it's referring to the first five books of what we call the Bible. The first five books, they didn't call it the Bible then, but the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, also known as the books of Moses or the book of the law. It had been lost. It had been overlooked. It had been neglected. They had ignored it and it's found And you read it, the king hears all the words and it says he tore his robes. Now, that is the strongest reaction at that time that someone could have to hearing something, to uh, being told something, to uh, a truth being revealed to them. It means it struck them to the core of who they are. It would be like us just falling down on our knees and going, oh, I'm undone. I don't know what to do. He, he hears these words. Who's ever read the first five books of the Bible? Who's ever read them and said, oh, gosh, struck to the core of who I am, or you say, oh, I got through that. <laughs> on to Joshua. We can destroy the enemies. I like that. Um, but it it struck him to the core of who he was. So much so that he says, I need to know what God wants to speak to me about this because I, I don't know what to do. I've heard all these words and I'm terrified. So this is what the king says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people. Again, the king represented the people and the people were a reflection of the king. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in the book that has been found. Why does he want to know? This is why. Because great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed. Everyone say obeyed. Obeyed. That's going to be a key word this morning. If you want to level up, it takes obedience. But the people who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They've not obeyed it, they've not listened to it. And, I'm, and I know if God's anger is burning against us, something is gonna happen. So he sends his people. He says, go inquire of the prophet. So they go to the prophet Huldah. Now Huldah was a prophet, she was an amazing prophet. Now I know you're saying she, yes. You may not have known this, but there are female prophets. There are women prophets. There were women prophets then, and there are women prophets today. And if you think God isn't going to ever speak to you through a woman, you will miss half of what God wants to say to you. So I'm telling you, learn to listen to the voice. Sometimes God wants to speak directly to you. Sometimes He wants to speak to you through someone else. Sometimes it's a pastor, sometimes it's a friend, sometimes. It's your wife if you're married. Sometimes it's your daughter if you have kids. Sometimes it's a female who just has great insight and wisdom. And if you say, God doesn't speak through women to me, well, you're basically telling God to shut up. And I wouldn't want to do that if I were you, but that's between you and the Lord. So he he speaks through uh, Hulda the prophet, and this is what she says. She says, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord. You tore your robes. You said, this isn't just about me. I didn't do these things that the people who came before me did, but you took that responsibility on yourself. You humbled yourself. Listen, so often we want, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. Somebody else did it. Listen, that's not the heart of someone who wants to level up. Because you humbled yourself before the Lord, your eyes will not see all the disaster that I'm going to bring on this people. Josiah, because of what you've done, because of how you've positioned yourself, because of how you've aligned yourself, because you're willing to to walk in obedience, I'm going to spare you from having to walk through all the judgment that's coming. And so then it goes on in the next chapter, and this is what Josiah says. Then the king called together all the people, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. So Josiah heard all the words being read to him. Then he calls all the people together. They're standing there from the greatest to the least. Everyone, all the people, he calls them all together, and he says, stand here. Sit if you have to, but you're not leaving until you've heard every word. And he just begins to read. In the beginning, God created. And on he reads through the end of Deuteronomy. He reads all the words of the covenant. He read every word. The king then renewed the covenant to follow the Lord and keep his commandments, statutes, and decrees. You know what that sounds like? Obey. Everyone say obey. See, Josiah said, we're going to obey what God asked us to do. And all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. So if you want to level up, it's going to require a great commitment on your part. But here's what it says about Josiah at the end of his life. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, And with all his strength. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a great testimony of someone's life. That is a reflection of someone who's leveled up. And if you're gonna level up, it means turning to the Lord with all your heart. See, the heart of leveling up is the heart. The heart of leveling up is always the heart. The heart of leveling up is always the heart your heart. Now, when I say heart, listen, we can think of heart in a multiplicity of ways. One way is physically, the muscle in our body that's beating and beating, circulating blood through our body. That's one way. We can think of it emotionally. Our heart, right? Valentine's Day is coming up. It's not too far away. And we give hearts, uh, emotions, love, romance, but there's also the idea, and this is what it's talking about here, the heart as the center of our, of our uh, mind, our, our, how we set our direction, what's inside of us. I'm courageous. I'm steadfast. I'm unbending. I won't compromise. The heart that's inside of us that sets the direction of our life and the heart that's inside of us that can choose for or choose against God. And if you want to level up, your heart has to be aligned positionally with God. And so that requires something. See, in life, one thing I found, life is a series of ups and downs, highs and lows, mountaintops, and deep, deep, deep dark valleys. Some of you have gone through some deep, dark valleys. Some of you are in some deep dark valleys. And others of you are like, I'm on the mountaintop. Life is good. I can't imagine it being any better. Wonderful. Praise God. But one thing I've learned is this. No matter how great life is, we never live on the mountaintop. Eventually, we end up in a valley. Eventually, we end up in some hard times. Eventually, we end up in some difficulties. And when we find ourselves in those difficulties, our tendency is to say, life isn't working. What I've done hasn't worked. And there's value in that. There's value in sometimes stepping back saying, Is what I'm doing working? Because if it's not working, why am I going to continue to do it? But sadly, many, many Christians or people who claim they're Christians they will do things like this. When they hit the valleys, when they hit the dark times, when they hit the difficult times, they say, this isn't working. God's not working. The Bible's not working. Going to church isn't working. Giving's not working. Serving's not working. So I'm not going to do those things. We bail on God. We bail on the church. We bail on sacrifice. We bail on all of that stuff. But what do we learn from Josiah? That when things are difficult, when you read the words of God and you realize his anger is burning against you, it doesn't mean bail on God. It doesn't mean pull away from God. It means step closer to him. In other words, if you want to level up, it requires greater commitment. That's what Josiah did. Josiah said, we're going to keep this whole thing. We're going to, we're going to do everything. He could have said, "It's too late. It's done. I'm. It's over. We've gone too far. The people who've gone before us have blown it. There's nothing we can do. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we shall die." But he said, "I'm going to press in with greater commitment." So how do we do that? How do you do that? How do you do that in the hard times? How do you do that in the good times? How do you do that to move from a place where you might feel like you're somehow stuck in your relationship with God, and go? higher, go further, go to the next place. See, when you go through those dark times, God wants you to pull in closer to him, more intimate, move uh, deeper into your relationship with him, to to step up in your trust and to grow closer. So how do you do that? The first thing that we see in Josiah is that he rediscovered God's word. So you need to rediscover God's word. So let me ask you a question. Where is the Bible in your life right now? I know some of you are thinking it's, it's on my nightstand. Some of you are thinking it's on my bookshelf. Some of you are thinking it's somewhere, it's probably kind of like the covenant. You know, it's in the temple somewhere, but it's got a lot of dust on it. I don't mean literally where's the Bible in your life. I mean, where is it in informing your life? Where is it in instructing your life? Where is it in helping to shape how you think, what you believe, what you stand for, how you treat other people, how you think about yourself, how you manage your stuff. See, the Bible has insight into all kinds of things, but so often we don't even know where the Bible is in our life. It's there somewhere. It's it's something I, I hear on a Sunday morning sometimes. You need to rediscover the word of God. You need to find it. So here's the thing, maybe you haven't discovered it or you've lost it because the only translation you have says thee, thou, theyest, sayeth, and, and it's about this thick and it's got, I mean, you don't even understand it. What you need to do is get a, a modern, up-to-date translation. So one thing you could do is get the Bible app. It's free, download it on your phone. You read the Bible app, it, can, it will give you every, just about every translation you can want. You say, I I don't like reading on my phone. It hurts my eyes. You're, you know, getting up in age and you gotta have the readers um, or you gotta hold it out far. I'm one of those, you know. Uh, So here's the deal. Stop at our guest service table on your way out. We have Bibles there. We'll give it to you. It's our gift to you. But rediscover God's word. Rediscover it, find it, allow it to shape your life. And in order to do that, it takes the next step. Not just finding it, Right? If they just found, we found the book of the covenant. Wonderful. But what did Josiah do? He listened to it. He read it. And he read it in the hearing of the people. So the next thing you need to do is read God's word. Read it. Dive into it. Read all that it's teaching you. Read all that it's instructing you. The Bible's got insight into marriage and family and business and finances and serving. Just about every aspect of life, every area of life, the Bible has something to say. If you'll read God's Word, it will give you wisdom, it will give you insight, it will give you traction in your life, and it will draw you closer to God. You want to level up, you have to discover God's Word, you have to read God's Word. Now, in reading God's Word, I know sometimes you say, where do I start? That'd be easy for me to say, do what Josiah did, started the first five books of the Bible. I want you to continue to read God's Word. (laughs) So while I love the first five books of the Bible and I believe they're inspired and I believe you ought to read them, don't start there. Here's where to start. Start in the gospel of Mark. So in the New Testament, there's four gospels, biographies, stories, telling of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're all the story of what Jesus did while he was here on earth some 2,000 years ago, all told from a slightly different perspective. The reason I tell you to start with Mark is because it's got like 16 chapters. So you can do it. You can read a chapter a day, and in a, less than a month, you've read through the entire book. If you read half a chapter a day in one month, you've pretty much read through the whole book of Mark. So start with Mark. Mark is a great one to start with. When you finish Mark, don't go. So w- when you open your Bible, go to the New Testament. Start, first book is Matthew, skip that. Go to Mark, read Mark. When you're done with Mark, keep turning until you find the book of James. James is a great book to read next. It's only five chapters, but it's full of wisdom and insight. And one reason I encourage you to read the book of James is later this year, during the summer, I'm going to do an entire series walking section by section through the book of James. So read the book of James. Just read those two to start. It will give you wisdom. It will give you insight. It will give you understanding It's a great place to start. So rediscover God's word, read God's word. And then this, one thing to remember about the Bible, the Bible not only reveals God God and his truth to us, it reveals truth about us to us. And that's why it's so important because people say, I wanna know about God, I wanna know what he teaches. And the Bible reveals those things to us, but it also reveals things about us to us which is hugely important because it allows us, it allows you to understand why am I wired this way? Why do I do these things? Why can't I find victory in life? Why do I give in to temptation? How do I learn to stand against temptation? And the last thing is this, respond to God's word. What good is it if you read it, if you find it and you read it, but you don't, Oh what was that word? Obey, Obey. Thank you. Obey. See, just, just reading the word isn't enough. I know people who say, "I read through the Bible every year. Great. Can people read the Bible through you? How you're living, how you're treating your husband, how you're treating your wife, how you speak to your kids, how you handle your finances. How you respond to authorities in your life, How you gossip? how you interact on social media. I mean, that's, that's more important. As a matter of fact, I said, read the book of James. Here's what it says in the book of James. It says, obey the word of God. Oh, there's that word, obey. Everyone say obey. Obey. Aren't you glad you came today? Obey the word of God. If you only hear and do not act, you are only fooling yourself. Listen, you can read through the Bible every year. You can read through it every month, cover to cover. Wonderful. If you're not living it out, you're only fooling yourself. Or as A.W. Tozer put it, I love this. He said, the driver on the highway is safe, not when he reads the signs, but when he obeys them. That is what God wants for you and for me, to obey his word. But obeying isn't easy. Obeying isn't fun. Obeying isn't what most of us want to do. And so responding to God's word, obeying God's word is where the rub happens. Because I know very, very few people who every day wake up and say, I can't be wait. I can't wait to be told what to do today. I can't wait for someone to tell me what to do so I can obey. I mean, even soldiers don't want to do that. They have no choice. We, We don't want to obey. We want to be our own person, make our own decisions, chart our own course. Don't tread on me. But that's not what it means to live for Christ. And if you want to level up, you have to learn to obey. But we base our obedience on what we want and not what we're told. But if we base obedience on our preferences, it's not obedience at all. It's control. So if you only obey the things you want to obey on your preferences, on your, the things you agree with, whatever term you want to use, but if you base obedience on your preferences, please hear me, please hear me, please hear me, you're not obeying, you're controlling. So here's what you need to know. Obedience is based on actions, not preferences. Obedience is what you do regardless of whether you want to do it or not. You say, Pastor, where are you getting this from? Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, not what I want, not my preference. Not My my preference is not to go and suffer and be beaten and crucified and tortured and hung on a cross. That's not my preference. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Not what I want, but what you want. So if you base your obedience on your preferences. Just be honest with yourself. You're not obeying. You're controlling. Now, I know for me, I have found that so often in life, it's easy to um, find ways to justify not obeying. And and I've kind of boiled it down. I know I've seen this in myself. If this is reflective of you, welcome to the club. But I, I... I found in myself three main clauses that I have constructed to keep me from having to obey. The first is this, the exception clause. The exception clause. I know the Bible says this, and in most situations, in most times, in most circumstances, it's probably the right thing to do, except in this case, except for me, except right now. Now, I know the Bible says to tithe, to give 10% of my income back to God. I know the Bible says that, except God doesn't expect me to do that because I'm having a hard time paying my bills. God doesn't expect me to do that because we're no longer under law, we're under grace. I just always say to that, grace always demands more, not less. So if you're not under law and you're under grace, then you should be giving 20%, 30%, 50%. Why only give 1%? I don't think you're under grace. That's my thought. Um, aren't you glad you came to church today? Uh, so the exception clause. We make all these exceptions of why it doesn't pertain to us. The next is this: the selection clause. The selection clause. This is like, have you ever gone to like the, the buffets? Yeah, You go down, you grab your plate, and you just have every, everything imaginable. And what do we, listen, if you're like me and I go to the buffets, I go to the stuff that I like. Give me meat. Give me potatoes. Give me more meat. More meat. Oh, and there's more meat down there. Listen, we take what we like and we leave the rest behind. And if we're daring, you know, we'll say, well, I'll try something new. But if we don't like what we tried that's new, what do we do? We toss it, we leave it, we tell the server we didn't like it and we go back and get more of what we like. And we do the same thing with the word of God. We read through it and we say, I like this Jesus who welcomes everyone, but I don't like the parts where he calls things sin. I like this Holy Spirit who frees me of guilt, shame, and condemnation. I don't like this Holy Spirit who expects holiness of life. I love the blessings of God. I don't want the sacrificial giving. I want God's revival power to manifest itself in my life and in my family because we've grown stagnant and cold, but I don't want to stop and pray. And on and on it goes. So we pick and choose what we like, what we don't like, what aspects of God fit us. And we end up creating this comfortable, convenient, goes down easy way of living. And we convince ourselves because we have some Bible on our plate that God has our heart, but he doesn't. At least he doesn't have all of it. So if you want to level up, you have to say, God, I'm not just gonna select the things I like and reject the things I don't like. I'm gonna take it all. Because then and only then can God move in and change you. When you accept those things that you don't always like and you allow it to enter your heart, it will change you at the core of who you are. But as long as you just pick and choose, it's an easy breezy, life is fun kind of Christianity. and That's not what it means to level up. Leveling up always requires a greater commitment. And the last is this, the subjection clause. The subjection clause. This is when we subject God's word to our own preferences. This is when we say, uh, yeah, I know that the Bible says this, but I don't think it really means that. I'm going to subject it to my own interpretation, to my own understanding. I'm going to subject it to whatever Google says or uh, whatever the, the latest blog is. I can find an echo chamber for anything that agrees with my preconceived ideas. And therefore, look... The Bible doesn't really say that, it says this. So we subject it to ourselves. So let me give you an example of what that might look like in real life. So let's say uh, you're a parent of a teenager and your teenager says, I would like to go out with my friends. And you say, fine, go out. I want you home before 11. I want you home before 11. Off they go. 10.45 rolls around and they're having a good time, and they're enjoying being together. Maybe it's a date. Maybe it's just friends. It doesn't matter, but they're hanging out. They're having a good time, and it's 1045, and they say, oh, I don't want to go home. What did they mean when they said you? Did they mean you like me, or do they mean you in the ethereal sense? Like, you know, it would be good in general for you to be home at, by 11, but, but it did they, were they mean me? And what did they mean by home? I mean, did they mean like in the house, on the block, in the driveway, in the hometown? You know, when you fly in from out of town and you land and you're in the city and it's two miles away or an hour away from your house, oh, it's so good to be home. So, and isn't home where your heart is? <laughs> and baby, I'm with you. So I'm home. And what did they mean by 11? I mean, did they mean literally 11? Did they mean 11 Eastern time or 11 Pacific time? Did they mean 11 a.m. or 11 p.m.? And did they mean 11, uh, like, has to be 11? Like, literally at 11, before 11? Because if you think about it, it's always before 11. So what, 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 with such ambiguous instructions, how can they expect me to obey? So I'm just gonna have to do what I think is right. And if they want me home at a certain time, they'll just have to text me, call me, or make it clear. But it's not my fault that I couldn't understand what it meant to be home by 11. No, that is exactly what we do with God's word. It's how we can convince ourselves we're following it when we're not. Listen, I understand that there are parts of the Bible that are confusing. I understand that there are parts of the Bible that are difficult to wrap our heads around. I understand that it was written at a different time, different culture, different cultural norms. I understand all those things. But I also believe with my whole heart that probably 95 to 99% of the Bible isn't ambiguous at all. We just make it ambiguous because by making it ambiguous, we feel we have no responsibility to, what was the word? Obey. Obey. And that's what the kings before Josiah did. They so ignored God's word that they didn't obey it and God's judgment was coming and Josiah said, I don't want anything to do with that. I want to level up, I want my heart to level up, I want the people to level up. And so what we learn from Josiah is this, if you want to level up, you must step up. If you want to level up, you must step up. That means with every page of the Bible you read, you ask yourself, God, what does this mean now, here for my life, how do I live this out? How does this inform how I relate to people, how I handle my finances, how I interact with others? How does it inform how I walk in grace and forgiveness? How do I be tender, kind, compassionate? Where do I, what truths do I stand on? You have to ask yourself constantly, God, when I read your word, when I step up in my commitment to you, where do I need to lay down my preferences and embrace your truth. So here's what I'm going to ask right now, right where you are, if you just begin praying, just, just, you know where you are in your walk with the Lord. And if you would say, I need to level up, I need to step up. I know there are areas in my life where I'm dragging, where I'm stuck, where I've gotten off track. Listen, leveling up is in the heart and it starts with a greater commitment. If you would say, I need to make that commitment, I need to step up right where you are. If you're joining us online, there's gonna be a button in the chat that says, I need to level up by stepping up. You can click that right now. If you're here this morning, just raise your hand, say, I need to step up. I need to step up. I need to step up. I'm tired of playing games. Tired of making the Bible fit around me. Tired of making my, instead of God's word to me, it's my words and God's voice. I'm tired of that. I can't do that anymore. I won't do that anymore. Just raise your hand right where you are. And now I'm going to ask you, if you're here, if you're at home, you don't need to do this. But if you're here and you raised your hand, just just stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Just stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, I'm asking for each person that's got the boldness to stand. God, that you would as they are standing up, it would represent them stepping up in their level of commitment to you, God, that your word would be true, that it would come alive to them, that they would rediscover it in their life, they would find it, they would read it, and they would apply it, they would walk it out, they would obey it, God, they would stop trying to make it about what they want, when they want, how they want, make it convenient, make it fit society, make it fit culture, make it fit what's acceptable, but God, that your word would be true, You yourself would be true, and all men would be made liars. And God, that starts with the voice of our own minds that want to change your truth. God, your word doesn't just reveal you and your truth to us. It reveals truth about us to us. And so, God, I'm praying that you would reveal some things right now. Change us at the core of who we are. And God, as we continue in this series, may this be the bedrock step from which everything else is based, the truth of who you are. Revealed to us by your word. Help us to live it out. And God, those that are standing, I'm praying, God, they would live it out like they've never lived it out before. Allow us to obey your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.